Well, church, I am eager to preach. Can you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9, we're going to go from verses 51 to 56. And I'm excited to start a new series today. We are going to be talking about the very important theme of focus. Why don't you type that in the chat? Focus. That's it. One word, focus. And if you're asking me the question, Pastor, why are we talking about focus at the end of a tumultuous year when most people are talking about different things? Why don't we talk about focus at the beginning of the year? You know, 2020 vision, of course, right? I don't know why I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit, okay? I am following the leading of God, and I believe that this teaching even today will set some people free, will give you a different perspective, perhaps be a paradigm shift moment for you. And I am eager to unpack what God has been teaching me. And because God has been talking with me about focus, I believe he wants to talk with us corporately about focus, not just from a revelation context, but also from a practical context. And we'll get to that at the end of this sermon. Will you lift up your hands right now that we may consecrate ourselves to hear what God will say. God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. We have never needed you more than we need you right now. God, you have always been present with us, leading us, guiding us, but this is a peculiar moment, a different moment. We ask that your presence would fall upon us afresh, that we would not enter into a divided, confused world without the power of your spirit. God, I pray that we take it with us wherever we go, and even now we need it to understand and to be open to what you have called for us to hear. Even in your word, God, would you cause it to come alive in our hearts? God, I know that there can't be a fire in anyone's place if there is an iceberg behind the pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your justice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 9, I'll start by reading verses 51 to 56 in the New King James translation. The word of God reads as follows. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before him. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. There are many ways that we can describe the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, church. Many adjectives can be used to summarize what he came to the earth to do. You could describe him by his miraculous attributes. You could say, for example, that Jesus was a healer. He came in contact with sick people and their sicknesses had to go. How many of you are excited that Jesus was and is a healer? You could describe Jesus by saying he was a way maker. He took the things that seemed small and made them into something great for the sake of others. How many of you are happy that Jesus was and is a way maker? You could say that Jesus was an advocate. He was a present on behalf of the least of these. He served those who were ostracized and marginalized and demonized by society. How many of you are thankful that Jesus was and still is an advocate? 
You could describe Jesus by these miraculous characteristics, or you could describe him by personal characteristics. You could say Jesus was compassionate. He had care for others. He served others. He loved others. How many of you are thankful that Jesus was and still is compassionate? You could say that Jesus was gracious. Jesus extended divine favor to people who did not deserve it, even those who were disabled, even those who were blind, even those who are of the aristocracy, even those who are of the lower class. Aren't you glad that Jesus is gracious? Or perhaps finally, you could say Jesus was merciful. He extended uh, love and extended care to those people who had since violated the commands of the law, violated the dictates of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. How many of you are thankful that Jesus was and is a merciful God? Now, all those would be appropriate descriptions of Jesus. Trust me, there are many ways in which we could describe him. We could be here all day describing Jesus in adjectives. But there is one description that is less popular and exciting than the ones I have mentioned, but perhaps it's the most underrated way that we could describe our Lord in his earthly life and ministry. And it's this, you ready? Jesus was focused. Jesus was focused. Why don't you type that in the chat? Jesus was focused. Jesus had an intimate understanding for his mission on earth. Jesus was a focused Savior. And this is important. Now, I say it's underrated because there are many ways in which Jesus' life and ministry could have gone. According to the disciples, they thought that Jesus was supposed to come to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus could have done that. He had the capability to do that, but he chose not to. He was focused. Jesus could have healed every sick person in the land. He chose not to. He was focused. He could have fed every hungry stomach in the land and on earth. He chose not to. He was focused. And if there is anything that we needed Jesus to do, it was for him to come and do what God had sent for him to do. That and that alone. Jesus was focused. We serve a focused Savior. But the contrast that makes this so telling is that we serve a focused Jesus but we live in a distracted society. Can I say it again? We serve a focused Jesus, but we live in a distracted society. This is the most prosperous and potential-filled time to live in the history of the world. Despite all the poverty and pain and sickness and suffering, if you are watching me right now, you have a leg up on 98% of the rest of the world. You have access to devices, clearly, internet technology, lights, food, all kinds of things, clothes, furniture, you probably have a car, you have the leg up on every single person in the world. But here's the problem. Just because it is the most prosperous and potential-filled time to live in the history of the world, it is also the time with the most opportunity for distractions. You know people are distracted. People are confused. People are distracted. One of the things that I've been researching, and you'll see why later on, is social media distraction, smartphone distraction. Every Sunday morning, I get this very convicting text message that gives me a status update on my phone usage. I wish I could disable that. I should probably disable it, but it's good. God hasn't led me to disable it yet. It tells me how many hours per day I spend on my smartphone. I'm ashamed to say that it's much bigger, much greater than it probably should be. And every single week I look at it and I say, 
really? I spent this much time? Does anyone feel what I'm saying? You get that same alert on your phone usage every Sunday morning? Why is it that it seems like I spend so much time on my phone. I I didn't realize I was spending this much time. I didn't realize I was spending this many hours. And when you do some research, you start to realize that we live in a time based upon technology, which is prosperous, but also filled with distraction. According to some studies, up to 80% of the time people spend online, get this, at work has nothing to do with their job. Now, supervisors and employers everywhere are gasping. Up to 80% of the time people spend online at work has nothing to do with their job. More than 56% of internet users believe that they'll miss important updates and events if they don't regularly check their social media pages. Just a flick of the thumb, just a swipe down or a swipe up of your index finger. I have to see what is happening. It's so simple. It's so light. It's just a little touch, but it carries with it so much weight and power, so much potential for distraction. About 27% log into their favorite platforms as soon as they wake up. Get this, church. This may come as a surprise, but the average person spends in total more than five years of their lives on social networks. More than five years of your life is spent scrolling, liking, commenting, sharing. There are so many other statistics that I could give you, so many other ways that I could illustrate this, but I think you get my point. We live in a distraction-riddled time. We live in a time where social media and smartphones and technology captures us, but that's not just the only distraction that I'm talking about, not just smartphones, not just social media, not just technology. I'm also talking about the distraction to do something that God hasn't called for us to do. We live in a time where there are so many options to do what God has not called for us to do. And the question we have to ask ourselves, church, is this. What does it mean to follow a focused Savior in a distracted society? Write that down. What does it mean to follow a focused Savior in a distracted society? That's why over the next four weeks or so, we're going to be dealing with this very crucial sermon series, Focus. Why are we talking about focus? Well, focus is just a a way, an avenue, a gateway into talking about the foundation of what focus is for. And the foundation of what focus is for is a theology of purpose. Everyone put purpose in the chat. It is a theology of purpose. Put purpose in the chat. If we are going to understand what we are supposed to be focused on, we must know what our purpose is. We must know why God put us on this earth. Do you realize that you have a purpose? Maybe we should start there because I know it seems like in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of financial stress, in the midst of civil unrest, in the midst of political upheaval, it can seem as though you're just here aimlessly. It can seem as though you're just a number. It can seem as though you have no meaning whatsoever. Let me challenge the lie of the enemy. You were created, Genesis 126 says, in the image and the likeness of God. That means you have inherent dignity 
and value and worth and, yes, a purpose. He told the prophet Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I already knew you and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. He says in Psalms 139 that you saw, God saw the unformed parts of our inner substance even while we were in our mother's womb and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a purpose, church. I don't care where you came from. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you did last night. You still have a purpose that God has called you to. Are you hearing me, church? There is not a singular person under the sound of my voice or a singular person who is still breathing on this morning who does not have a purpose. And what does it mean for us to be focused? It means for us to understand what our purpose is. Here, watch this. A Christian definition of focus. You ready? Focus is the clarity to direct your attention toward what you have been called to do and who called you to do it. Focus is the clarity to direct your attention toward what you have been called to do and who called you to do it. You have to understand this, church, that focus is about purpose. You cannot be focused if you do not know what your purpose is. And I have to tell you, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most seasoned saint to the newest believer, focused people are dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Distractions exist because if we ever got focused on what God has called for us to do, we would be unstoppable. You don't realize how powerful you are until you have harnessed your focus. Focus is the clarity to direct your attention toward what you have been called to do and who called you to do it. This is, brings us This brings us to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, it's a very fascinating passage of Scripture. Perhaps it's an obscure or innocuous passage of Scripture to you, but I believe it is powerful. It sets the stage because the greatest example of focus, again, is our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus operates in focus in Luke chapter 9. We'll start in verse 51. And in verse 51, I'm going to read it from a number of different translations. I'll start with the New King James. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Let me do the ESV. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, or excuse me, that was the ESV. Let me do the New King James. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. All right, let's do Eugene Peterson's Message Bible translation. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. When it came close to the time for his ascension, I love this, he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus made a determination that in order to fulfill his purpose, he had to put his eyes on the right things. Can I ask you a question before we keep going? What are you watching? I'm not talking about your media consumption, although that's important. I'm not talking about your news consumption, although that's great. I'm talking about what you have set your heart on. It says here, Jesus resolutely set himself. One translation, he set his face like flint. He steadfastly, he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. Why? Because in Jerusalem was his purpose. First statement, get this, focus will preserve your attention from distractions. Write that down. Focus will preserve your attention from distractions. Focus is the determination 
that everything I set my eyes to is worth me looking at? Do you realize that everything that grabs and captures your attention is not always what you're supposed to be focused on? Just because it can grab your attention doesn't mean it's your purpose. It may mean it's a distraction. And focus will preserve your attention from distractions. This is why Zig Ziglar, the, the great business mind, he puts it like this. Lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24-hour days. <laughs> we all have 24-hour days. We all have the ability to do what God has called for us to do. So what's the problem? Is it time? No, it's not time. If you had 25, 26, 27 hours, if you had eight days, nine days instead of seven in the week, we would still find a way to put something else in there that would distract us. But the issue, Zig Ziglar says, and I think God agrees, is lack of direction. Where are you going? Where have you set your face? And some of us have to be honest that we have set our faces on things that are leading us away from the purpose that God has created us for. This is why it is important for us to understand why distractions enter in. Why do distractions enter in to the focus of the people of God? You ready? When the people of God don't know their calling. <laughs> when the people of God don't know their calling. Can I break something down for you? There is a difference, church, between career and calling. There is a difference between the job and the mission. There is a difference between career and calling. Career is what you check into. It is your employment, and it's very important. But calling is something deeper. Perhaps the better word other than calling, the better word other than simply career, is vocation. And vocation literally comes from the root word vocare, which means to call. It means to draw in, to invite into a mission. And vocation is so important that Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation, aka the calling, wherewith ye have been called. I did that in the King James intentionally because it carries some weight with it. He's saying, I need you to walk worthy of the calling that God gave to you. It's a difference between a career and a calling. This is why Ephesians 4.17 in the New Living Translation says it like this, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. <laughs> what has God called you to do, church? That's your calling. Now you have to understand, it's different from a career. A career is about an occupation. A calling is about an invitation. A career is about a job. A calling is about joy. A career is about money. A calling is about a mission. You must know what you have been called to do in order to do the right career, in order to flourish in the career that you choose. L let me give you some examples here. Let me break this down. I'm not going to assume you know what this means. There is a deeper calling behind every career that you choose. If you have been gifted and talented and you have the opportunity to do something and you have the anointing to flourish in something, your career and your calling might intersect, but your calling will always be deeper and underlying and closer to the character with what you have been called. Let me give you an example. Your career might be nursing, but your calling might be healing. <laughs> your career might be teaching at a school but your calling might be exhortation. Your career might be a chef, but your calling might be hospitality. Your career might be a financial advisor, but your calling might be generosity. 
Your career might be a judge, but your calling might be mercy and justice. Your career might be public speaking, but your calling might be prophecy. Your career might be a comedian, but your calling might be creating joy. Your career might be administration, but your calling might be creating honor. Are you hearing me? There's a difference between a career and a calling. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. This is the question, church. You ready? Would I rather be successful or significant? Would I rather be successful or significant? A career is built on success. It's Western. It's individualistic. How much money can I make? How much can I experience? How many assets can I gain? How much can I hoard for myself? Can I help you? You're not going to be able to take any of that with you. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. It ain't going to work. You're not going to be able to, to take it with you when you stand before God. The question is not whether or not I can be successful or not. It's whether or not I can be significant. This is why, hear me, I hope you're catching this. This set me free. I hope it sets you free. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, this is what they say about Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What does God call you to do? Not your neighbor, not your parents, not your siblings, not your spouse. What God call you to do? <laughs> What God called you to do? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Catch this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus fixed his eyes on his purpose because in his purpose he found his joy. That's different from going out and doing something. That's different from a career. That's different from an occupation. It's different. It's something deeper. It's a purpose. It's a calling. And so the question that I have to ask for you is, what is the consuming fire that powers the engine of your soul? What's the consuming fire? What's the thing that keeps you up late at night, gets you up early in the morning? Perhaps you've never thought about this. Perhaps you've never had the privilege or the luxury of thinking about this. I understand that. But God is calling you into focus. And if God is calling you into focus, you must know your purpose. Can I speak on two sides of the generational coin here? Because I know there are going to be people who are crudely, if I'm putting it crudely, there are going to be people who come from different generational backgrounds, different generational perspectives. So you have to understand that a career is not simply your only thing when it comes to your purpose. A career is about success. A calling is about significance. So let me speak to the young people. Young people, I hope you realize this. You are powerful. I think we have some of the most outstanding, gifted, talented, anointed, successful young people in the entire city of Pensacola. I believe that. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've experienced it. But here's what I want you to hear. You are more powerful than what you're calling, or excuse me, you are more powerful than what your career can contain. Your career will box your power in. You have no idea how powerful you are if you spend more time developing your calling, not your career. Go and get your education. Go and flourish in your career. You must work. You must thrive. You must experience all those things. I completely agree. Don't miss what, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm simply saying that if you focus on your calling, your calling will take you places your career could never even imagine you going. Do you hear me? 
Spend more time on your calling, not just your career. Develop what God has called for you to do. Maybe you're sitting back and you're saying, this sounds great, but I'm 16, I'm 15, I'm 20. I don't know. I'm 30. I don't know what that looks like. That's okay. But carve out some time to continue to ask God what you have been called to do, what your ultimate purpose is, and watch how much you flourish. Can I speak on the other side of the coin? Once again, a career is about success. A calling is about significance. Can I speak on the other side of the generational coin to our seasoned saints? We live in an ageist culture. We live in a culture that is obsessed with the younger. We live in a culture that is built upon prejudicing itself against the older. Oh, yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> you better hear me. And so here's what we start to say. Here's how you know we live in an ageist culture. When we start to say, oh, you're getting old and someone's turning 30. Oh, you're getting on up there, someone's turning 40. We start to think about the end of, we live in the time of the greatest life expectancy in the history of the world. The longest life expectancy perhaps ever in the history of modern civilization. And yet we look at people and we speak, hmm, we speak low expectancy on our older saints. We look down upon them, we point down upon them. And we say their time has passed. Listen, I I'm just going to prophetically speak here to you. Your best days are not behind you. They're ahead of you. God is going to raise up some older folks, some seasoned saints, who are going to unpack and envelop levels of focus and purpose and calling and depth that you didn't even know was possible. Even in your old age, you're still going to serve God. Even in your old age, you're still going to flourish. Even with gray in your hair, you're still going to thrive. And it's because an ageist culture, this is why it's revolutionary, an ageist culture has turned into an ageist church. This is why here at church, <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble, it's cool. Y'all know me, y'all know I'm a troublemaker, it's good trouble. This is why at NDCC Pensacola, we are a multi-generational church. That means you're not just going to see young people. You're going to see young people because that's part of my mission and my calling. But you're also going to see the older generation as well. We don't believe in leaving anyone behind. We don't believe in kicking anyone to the curb just because they're a little bit older than the rest of us. No, you still have a mission. You still have a purpose. You still have a calling. God still has something for you to do just because you're a little bit older than the rest of us. Doesn't mean God is done with you. Your best days aren't behind you. They're ahead of you. So what has God called you to do? Thank you for allowing me to go on that tangent. I hope y'all are still with me. What has God called you to do? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Focus will preserve our attention from distractions. Now, keep going in the passage. Luke chapter 9, verse 52. Let's read a few more verses here. They sent messengers out before Jesus arrived. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his, his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Okay, number two here. Focus will give you persistence through resistance. Focus will give you persistence 
through resistance. Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem. He was carrying his disciples. He had given them instructions at the top of Luke 9. We'll get to that in a second. But he was walking through a place and he encountered Samaritans expecting to receive hospitality. They wanted for him to do things in their village, in their area. And he couldn't because he was going to Jerusalem. So they rejected him. Now, James and John, the sons of thunder, <laughs> James and John say, why don't we just call down fire from heaven and scorch them? Two problems with this. First of all, it was a violation of what God called them to do. Watch this. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. At the top, moonwalk back, 49 verses. It says this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He didn't say nothing about raining down fire from heaven. He told them what to do. And he told them what to do even if they don't receive him. He already told them what to do. So it was a violation of what Jesus had called them to do. But secondly, it was a violation of what God called Jesus to do. A lot happened in Luke chapter 9. Not only does Jesus give instructions to the 12, but also there's this moment called the transfiguration. And in the transfiguration, you see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. It was a great moment of divine approval. God comes down and sets his approval in the atmosphere. He says, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. The only people who saw this, catch this, Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter has the bright idea when he sees Moses, Jesus, and Elijah. Let's create three tents or three thrones in commemoration. God says, hold up. These people aren't deserving of worship. No, this is my son. So the second that the father spoke, Moses and Elijah faded away, and Jesus was given the preeminence. In other words... In other words, Jesus' mission was different and greater than Moses' and Elijah's. Yet, James and John said, do you want us to call down fire like Elijah? You see the power of this now? You see the indignity? You see why Jesus rebuked him? You haven't caught it. I said again, focus will give you persistence through resistance. But what is the resistance? The resistance that you will face is to do the calling of someone else. You know the greatest temptation you will face is not to do nothing, but to do something you haven't been called to do. In other words, catch this, they asked Jesus to do something he was capable of, but not called to. The question, church, is not could I, but should I? The question is not am I capable, the question is am I called? The question is not, should I do this in the context of, do I have the ability? No, that's not the question. The question is calling and purpose. Should I do this because it is in the call that God has for me or it is not in the call that God has for me? The greatest temptation that you will have is to do the calling of someone else. That's the greatest distraction. That's the resistance. And focus will push you through that resistance. Can I, can I say this? There was this old commercial. There was this old commercial when I was growing up. It was between the basketball great Michael Jordan and the soccer great Mia Hamm. And it was a Gatorade commercial. And you know what it was saying? It was doing a riff off that old song. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Anything you can do, I can do greater. I can do anything greater than you. 
and they were playing these sports. First, they tried to play basketball, and Jordan dominated. Then they tried to play soccer, and Mia dominated. And then they were like, nope, we got to outdo each other. So they did track and fencing and tennis and swimming, and they did all these, and they were trying to outdo people. And it's a funny commercial, but the reality is uh, some of us, we're trying to outdo other people. Can I flip the script a little bit? Uh, anything you can do, uh, I can do better? No. Anything you can do, I applaud you. I know what God called me to do. Anything you could do, I applaud you. Go and do what God called you to do. Why do we feel the pressure to succeed at something we're not called to, church? Why do we feel the pressure to appropriate anointings that God didn't give to us? Can I tell you, I'm not trying to preach like anybody else. I'm not trying to lead like anybody else. I'm not trying to be successful and popular. I'm trying to be faithful to what God called me to do. And here's the problem, church. We would rather be impressive than intentional. We would rather impress people than be intentional in the thing that God has called for us to do. So we do everything we're capable of, not what we're called to do. And God is saying, I'm not going to look at all your accomplishments. I'm going to look at what did you do with the thing I called you to do? What did you do with your purpose? What did you do with the thing that I set in front of your eyes? This is a word for someone because you built up your whole life trying to be somebody else. You built up your whole life trying to keep up with someone else. You built up your whole life trying to reach and grab for someone else's coattails. And God says, you better let them go. You better stop doing the things I didn't call you to do. It's not a question of capability, church. It's a question of calling. Is someone hearing me today? Some of us are trying to prove our capability when God wants us to be purposed in our calling. Be free today, church. Be free to not be impressive. When people talk about what you can't do, embrace it. Paul puts it like this. Therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm weak, he got me covered. I wish there was somebody here who could be my praise partner. Can I give you a digital high five? Can I give you a cyber dap real quick? Because I believe God wants to set you free from the chains and the bondage of the expectation of doing all the things God didn't call you to do. But it's not impressive. It's not great. Should not be starting a business. Should not be doing this. Should not be doing that. Did God call you to do it? Or do you just want to keep up and be impressive like everybody else you think is impressive? We're not called to be impressive. We're called to be intentional. Very quickly, I got I to gotta finish. <laughs> I got to finish. It's too much. Too much. The inverse of the passage is verse 56. It says here, they went to another village. They went to another village. Final point here, focus will give you direction after rejection. Focus will preserve your attention from distraction. Focus will give you persistence through resistance. And focus will give you direction after rejection. Some of us are stuck. Yeah. Some of us are stuck in life. We're stuck. And you feel it. It's not that nothing good is happening in your life. It's that you feel stuck. You feel in the mud. You feel bound. You feel like someone poured concrete around your ankles. You feel stuck. You feel like you're doing the same thing, going the same way. You feel this intense area, this intense feeling of inadequacy and insufficiency. And here's the reality of the matter. We feel stuck because we don't have a purpose. We feel stuck 
because someone rejected us. We feel stuck because something rejected us. We feel stuck because we're asking the question, what's next? Here's the truth about Jesus. He was focused, but also Jesus was a master at moving on. Jesus was a master of when his season and his time was up, he left. So much so it offended people. So much so he had to tell the people. Remember, he gave them instructions at the top of Luke 9. Listen to what he says, Luke 9, chapter 5, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. If people do not welcome you, leave them. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them and go. They went on. Be careful about staying in things God called you to move on from. This is a purpose statement. This is a purpose idea. Focus will give you direction after you've been rejected. You already know your mission. So if the job says no, you keep it moving. You already know your purpose. So if that significant other dumps you, you keep it moving. <laughs> you already know your purpose. So if that family member ostracizes you, you keep it moving. If you have a purpose, you won't get stuck after you've been rejected or after you go through trials and suffering. Rather, you will move on in the direction God already called you to. It is healthy, church, to move on from what and who you have not been called to. It is healthy, church, to move on from what and who you have not been called to. Can I say it one more time to set you free? It is healthy, to move on from what and who you have not been called to. Be free, church. And many of us are trying to stay here, stay in the same place, and stay in the same mediocrity, and we're going around and around, and it's because we don't have a purpose. We don't have a direction. Where are you going, church? They moved on to another village. Jesus said, I set my face toward Jerusalem. If y'all kick me to the curb, that's fine. My joy is in Jerusalem. Where's your joy at? In the place where God has called you to be, in the purpose that he's led you into. And many of us are stuck, and we feel rejected, and we feel like nothing because we don't have a purpose. What's next? Where's your purpose? What am I supposed, where's your purpose? How am I supposed to, where's your purpose? But they left, where is your purpose? What have you set your eyes on? And even if people reject you, even if they push you away, even if they abandon you, even if they talk about you, you can shake the dust off your feet and keep it moving. I set my face to Jerusalem. I set my face to my purpose. I set my face to my joy. Church, I'm going to plead with you. Stop staying stuck in things God called you to move on from. Be free and go towards your purpose. My time is up, past gone. But I want to encourage you to do something. I'm going to challenge you. Next week, not this upcoming Monday, not tomorrow, but next Monday, we're going to start a fast. We're going to start what I call a focus fast. This will be a food fast. So I want you to prepare your heart, prepare your mind, prepare your soul. I'm giving you a week in advance. We're going to go on a three-day fast. That's it, three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It can be a Daniel fast. Some of you, if you want to extend it to a week, extend it to a week. Go ahead. 
do what God has called you to do. We want to be total fast, do what God has called you to do. Liquids only, do what God has called you to do. I'm not going to make a big stipulation about that. We'll pass out some materials so that you have that. We'll share that in the group. We'll also share that on our Facebook page. But that's next week. This week, I want to challenge you to do a digital detox. In the chat, in the pinned comment, there is a link. I want you to click that link when it says digital detox. That's our focus fast for this week. I want to challenge you to do three things. Ready? Limit your social media usage for seven days. Now, this can look a number of different ways. You can do a complete social media fast. Get someone to change your passwords, completely be off it. Number two, you could delete your social media apps. So, for example, if you have to be on there for work, if you have to be on there for your job or whatever it may be, you can do that, but you can delete your social media apps. Or you can cut your recreational social media usage in half, at least. You spend three hours, cut it in half. Take a look at your phone usage. It'll tell the truth on you. Number two, not just limit your social media. Replace that time with silence, solitude, and stillness before God. Consecrate yourself to hear what God has to say. This is important. You cannot be focused if you're not connected to God. You cannot be focused if you don't have the clarity to know what you've been called to. And second thing, even more importantly, who called you to do it? So replace that time with silence, solitude, and stillness. And then number three, I want you to have this. This is homework. I want you to have this next week. Write out your life purpose statement. God has called me to fill in the blank. God has called me to fill in the blank. I want you to pray about it, think about it, and write it out. I believe God's going to speak to you. Now, here's the interesting thing. You're going to write it out, and then you're going to revise it the next week after you've gone on your fast. You're going to start with what you know and what you have clarity to hear. And then after you fasted, then we're going to see what God says and how that changes and how that alters. Church, I'm serious. It's time to get focused. Do what God has called you to do and remember who called you to do it. Lift your hands right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your presence will fall in this place. God, we thank you that you are a focused Savior, that Jesus is focused fixed, eyes set towards Jerusalem. And God, I pray that we ourselves would be focused people, even in a distracted society. We give you praise, God, even as now we make a difficult decision to go on a digital detox. I pray that it would be joyful. I pray that we would do it with joy and we'd be excited about it because that means we're going to be closer to you. Give your people strength, give them wisdom, give them courage to cut out everything that they have not been called to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Why don't you put your hands together and thank God that you have a purpose. Be focused this week, church. I love you so much. Well, church, I hope you enjoyed that powerful word. And I believe that God is doing something in the inside of our hearts. Even though we cannot meet together, I believe that God is doing something in our hearts right in our living rooms, right in our bedrooms. And I just want to encourage you, if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, you can at any point in time during this service, at any point in time when you're listening later, I want you to type home in the comments. 
There are people who are ready and willing to reach out to you to see how we can pray for you, how we can support you and uplift you in this time. And if you do not know Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior. It's just a prayer away. Just let him know. He is listening to you. Just let him know, God, I desire to follow you. I desire to transfer all of my personal worth, all of my personal satisfaction, all of my personal cares over to a God who is greater than my situation. And I desire to follow after you in the way, loving you in all that I say and I do and reflecting your character. Give me the strength to do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And if you pray that prayer in your own words, you don't have to repeat it after me. You have joined the family of God. For the word says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Once again, you can type home in the comments. We're so excited to walk with you on this new journey. I also want to say that if you want to join our church, there are people who are, who are actively in that process right now. And I'm so excited. We had a phenomenal meeting this past week with them. And so I just want to encourage you to reach out at any time. It doesn't necessarily have to even be in the season. If you're watching two months down the line, I want you to type join in the comments. And I want to be able to reach out to you and tell you about how we can continue to encourage you in this season. If you missed the opportunity to give, there's three ways you can do so. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings on our website. You can also go to the Tively app and type in New Dimensions Christian Center or you can mail it in the old-fashioned way, P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Church, I miss you. I miss you so much. But I believe that God is doing something on the inside of us and I want to encourage you, do not miss next week. Do not miss next week because God has given us a word that we're going to declare and deliver to you. And in the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Give you peace and power as you go throughout your way. Now go and be blessed. Conquer this week. Win this week. And be safe while you do it. I love you so much. And on behalf of New Dimensions Christian Center, I want to encourage you to come back next week where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny.